Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Solving Problems with Technology on HXGN Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Wakefield. In this episode, we'll be talking about the impact culture has on problem solving and technology solutions. Uh, today, we have with us Jeff Roussel, the Chief Revenue Officer of Kinexus, along with Josh Cranfield, the Sales General Manager for Hexagon Exalt. Josh and Jeff, uh, thank you both for joining us today. Um, before we really dive into the, the topic, um, Jeff, you're, you're our guest, so let's hear more about you and, and your company, Kinexus. Okay, sure. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I, as you mentioned earlier, my title is the Chief Revenue Officer at Kinexus. I feel like what that does is it puts me square kind of in the crosshairs from a leadership perspective of the marketing and the sales and the customer experience functions within the organization. So I know a lot of people think that, you know, those organizations or those parts of the organizations work for me, but I certainly see myself as a servant leader. And so I feel like I work for them. Uh, my job is to kind of help agitate things and to help, um, help them kind of get through their obstacles so that the people that we hire can do their work. So, I'm a lean thinker at heart. I really didn't know what that meant until about eight years ago when I joined Kinexus. Before that, I had a career in enterprise software. Uh, I am certainly a family man through and through, but I feel like I, I tell people my mission is just to continue helping people until someone doesn't let me do it anymore. And I am really just a continual learner at heart. It, that, that's the real thing that kind of gets me going is to learn as much as possible. So I'm hoping I get to do that a little bit on this podcast today. All right. And and how do you get to, to be a continual learner, uh, be someone who who supports others and, and helps others uh, while working at Kinexus? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I know the, the route that everybody can take, but I'll tell you where it came front and center to me years ago. I took a, or I read a book uh, called Strength Finders 2.0. I think it's a Clifton book and I took the the test and one of my kind of five core strengths was that of learner. And I I remember reading in the report they sent that if you can put yourself in positions to lean on these strengths, then you will um you'll have more energy. You know, you'll you'll give yourself more energy throughout your day. And so I started right then and there alternating between reading one fun book and then one learning slash business slash psychology book. And I was in my 20s when this happened. And I've maintained that habit to this day. But I, you know, I'm trying to learn Spanish. I'm trying to learn guitar. I'm trying to learn how to be a better family man. I'm trying to learn it all. I just, I have this addiction. And uh, I'm just going to keep feeding it as much as I can. Um, but yeah, so I, I you know, career-wise, I started out as, a developer, believe it or not, I was terrible as a developer. I'm much more comfortable talking to people than to computers and uh, made my way through the enterprise sales world and was introduced to a friend to our founder at Kinexus and just really loved the mission of Kinexus, which is to spread continuous improvement. And so I joined forces there uh, about eight years ago and have literally just been been doing that ever since. I think I'll keep doing it until they won't let me anymore. <laughs> At least that's the goal. So you say that, you know, the mission of Kinexus is to spread continuous improvement. 
uh, tell us a little bit more about about that. Yeah, so I think there's a belief running through Kinexus that the single most important thing a company can do if it's going to achieve its goals long term is to adopt and really build a culture of continuous improvement. Um, we really believe in the concept that better has no end. And so whatever you're doing today, you can do it better tomorrow. And so I just think if, if companies and people apply that, ultimately they're just gonna move themselves in the right direction. I, I don't know where the limit is. I, I just know that if you're improving, you're getting better at whatever it is you're doing and whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. So that really kind of guides us. Um, we also have a core belief that technology can and does help facilitate change in people's lives and that technology plays a bigger role than most people appreciate in developing and sustaining a culture of continuous improvement. I don't, I don't know exactly where that's going to kind of shake out, but I just know that it, that most people underestimate the role that technology plays in their life. Um, mm -hmm. Especially when you consider things like pen and paper, those, those are technologies, you know, otherwise we would just use our brains to try to remember everything. And, and so we use technologies every day and, as we kind of progress through the world, technologies are just getting better and better and better. So we've simply chosen to focus our efforts on using technology to help spread continuous improvement. Uh, that just is core to what we are and who we who we want to be as an organization. Um, we do a lot to help people organize their continuous improvement activities. But like when I describe Kinexus, I describe it as a system of record for continuous improvement. And so for organizations that feel that continuous improvement is important enough that it needs a system of record, well, then they'll look at a company like Kinexus to help there. And, and when we find that alignment, you know, that's what we do is just try to be helpful for them. And so as you, as you try to help others with continuous improvement, how do you drive continuous improvement and develop that culture around continuous improvement internally in your technology-centric type of environment? Yeah, um, that's a, a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had the exact answer there. I, um, so there's a lot of things that, that I think we've done well over time. So for instance, we train new employees pretty aggressively on our mission, vision, values, traits, and beliefs. Uh, it has taken us a number of years to be able to write those things out in an authentic and an accurate way. Um, you know, it wasn't where we just kind of, we didn't found Kinexus based on the mission, vision, values, traits, and beliefs that we have today. It, it literally has, um, we've had to kind of feel it first and then document it second. But uh, we're pretty aggressive at trying to follow those. Um, another thing we teach, we discuss lean early and often. We try to talk about the, um, the principles from the Toyota way, the 14 principles, and how can we apply them in our day-to-day -day 
activities. Um, another another thing that comes to mind, our executives take part in continuous improvement. I feel like that's an important piece because if we don't do it, well, our employees sure aren't going to do it, you know, and so we have to hold ourselves accountable to that. But there's a lot we do. Um, we do a book club in order to try to become a learning organization where we've committed to the time to read and then talk about what we're reading. But I think at the end of the day, that first principle from from the Toyota way, if you treat your people with respect and empathy, and then you just try to put the tools in their hands for them to thrive, then I feel like the culture comes as a result of that at the mm -hmm. end of the day, you know, and, and it you have to pay attention to the culture. But quite literally, I think people will show you what kind of culture they want at an organization. And and then if you can trust them and kind of follow them, they'll lead you down that path. Jeff, um, if I could get tactical for a second, what does it look like? You said you document it, right? So you're going to write those principles down. You're going to organize them. I'm assuming you go back to it and review or have some sort of a system uh, to reinforce what you wrote down or else you'd you probably wouldn't have written it down. Uh, what does that look like? How does it practically work? Uh, Word document, what do, you, what do you have? What does that look like? Yeah, so I like kind of getting into the weeds here. Um, we're still in the process of this. I, I'm not a, I am a baseball fan. I'm not necessarily a Cubs fan, but I don't know if you guys remember Theo Epstein and oh, yeah. the Cubs. And he, he wrote something, I don't know if he did it in Boston or Chicago, uh, where he called it like the Chicago way or the Cubs way, uh, like their manifesto. So I always have this vision that we're going to write this the Kinexus way, right? This is how we're going to do it. And we're going to be able to disseminate the information after we put it down. And we haven't gotten to that point yet, but I will say putting this sort of stuff on paper was a huge step for us. Uh, literally writing out our mission, writing out our vision, writing out the values that we think are important the traits that we look for in employees that make people successful and then writing our belief statements writing what we believe as an organization um, that was an important step that then allows us so like every new employee um, they have to go through two sessions with me as a chief revenue officer one of them is to talk about all of those things and then one of them is to talk about lean so that everyone at least has a basic understanding of those things and, and about lean. Uh, from there, uh, we so we do a, a mid-annual and an annual all-hands session. Um, we, we always dedicate a half a day to talk about mission, vision, value, traits, beliefs. Um, it's amazing how much existing people forget it. It's also amazing how much when you are growing as a company, people come on board and they've never heard those things before, or they only heard them in their first training and then they've forgotten about them since then. So that's been a, a huge part of it. And then we do it, we do it all hands every Friday. We're small enough where doing it all hands still makes sense every Friday. And um, our CEO likes to kind of wax poetically about different topics and we make sure that that's part of it, that that's part of something that we talk about on our weekly meeting on a regular basis. I'm certain we're not uh, perfect at it, but I do know that when we when we have challenges, when we have employee challenges or something like that, quite literally, we've 
we've opened up the document and said, here's what our values say. How does that apply to the situation at hand? And we try to use that as directly as possible. And it's been helpful for us. I think it's helpful for us because we bought into it. Uh, I think if it was superficial, it wouldn't be as helpful. But after we bought into it, now it's like you said, we're trying to figure out the tactics to just reinforce that that message over and over again. Do you I feel was like, having that? Go ahead, Josh. Sorry, one quick question. Do you feel like that? Um, let me let me phrase the question this way. What do you think is the result of that? culture all that work you put into to putting those things together and making sure you have clarity on those pieces does it make your people happier stickier more productive what what do you think are the results that come from it um that is a good question i i think i'm certainly biased here so it's hard for me to answer this one and and be an unbiased uh bystander but I feel like the response we get from the people that that fit on our bus, right, that follow our mission is that they love being at Kinexus. They love what it means from a sense of transparency and honesty. They love the fact that we're using these values and these traits to manage them I mean, part of having values and traits is knowing when you've fallen down and made mistakes in them, and then we can use that to get better as an organization. And it gives us a humility where it's not just me or it's not just our CEO making decisions. There's like a guiding force behind that. But um, but I also think they don't say it as much, but I think they realize one of the one of the things I say all the time to our employees is that as soon as the next employee joins that new employee has no idea how long anyone's been at kinexus and so we follow i don't know if you guys follow seth godin he's one of my favorite authors great great um newsletter every day that i get from him but he has a saying that that says people like us do things like this and so we take that to heart at Kinexus. And so to me, whoever's on our team, well, when the new person comes on board, it's now their job to show that person how to behave and how to act. And I think they like that. I think people like that responsibility. Like, I think it makes them feel part of the company, not just an employee of the company. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. And and have you noticed a, a change in behavior since you adopted these mission, vision, values, traits, and, and behaviors that you're looking for? Have you seen a noticeable difference, or has it just kind of changed organically? Yeah, it's a, I don't know if I've seen a noticeable difference, but you know, I, I'll give you an example. One of the things we harp on a lot is having a growth mindset. Uh, we really uh, like the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. And just the concept of having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. And now that we have a language, a common language about that being an important value for us, it's much easier when we go into a situation where someone maybe is exhibiting a fixed mindset and we can say, hey, it feels like you're dealing into a, you know, you're dealing from a place of a fixed mindset right now. Let's talk about what this might mean from a growth mindset perspective. So it's kind of given us a language in, in which to manage one another, which has been super helpful. Um, that, that's just been, that change has made, 
kind of the the communication easier between mm-hmm. employees, between management and employees, et cetera. Um, but no, I don't think it, I don't, you know, it's not one of those things where all of a sudden we wrote out our mission statement and then everybody bought into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there had to be a commitment and a constant drumbeat of the importance of this before people started to realize that, oh, we need to take this seriously. Like this isn't just lip service that the company's, the company's paying to it. Um, so yeah, I, I hope it's, I, I hope it's made a change. I just, I haven't seen it. It's like kind of watching your children grow. Uh, <laughs> all of a sudden my kid, my kids are full grown. I never saw them grow a day in their life. Uh, I've been with them every day. You mentioned uh, the communication piece. Um, a company, uh, Shingo Prize winner, U.S. Synthetics, they used to put all that um, all over their company, their mission, vision, values, um, you know, the traits. And anytime they would have a conversation, you know, if it was a behavior, if it was a good conversation, you know, a, a, a correcting, you know, type of bad conversation, they would walk over to any of the places they had this posted. And rather than looking the employee, you know, in the face and being across the table, Together with that employee, they'd both look at that, they call it a value tree, and they would talk together and say, just like you said, this is, people like us do things like this, right? You know that saying? Um, and they would say, hey, this this is what we're trying to achieve. Um, you know, our purpose of being here is this, um, and the reason we're taking this next action, but there's good action, bad action, is because this is who we are. And it made that communication easy. So it sounds like that's a similar way that you're able to make communication easier because you have all these things defined. Uh, I think so. I mean, yeah. defining them first, mm-hmm. right? You can't stand next to the wall and talk about them until you've defined them. But once you define them, you really got to commit to standing next to the wall and talking about them. Yeah. Uh, because if all you do is define them, they'll just get put in a folder somewhere and you'll pat yourself on the back for creating a cool value statement. But, uh, <laughs> but if you can figure out a way to try to live by it, well, then I think people buy into it. And I think people want to be a part of of that. I think, yeah. you know, it just helps them to have some direction in their job. So there's probably been several things you've tried in your, your eight years at Kinexus. Um, you know, is there anything that you tried when you, when establishing a culture that maybe didn't work to plan and you learned something from it? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'll tell you the biggest problem that we have as a leadership team is when we forget that our best people probably need the most management. Mm. They, I mean, they probably need the most love, the most appreciation, the most coaching, but it's easy to like think that, Oh, there are, there are most talented people. Mm. We can just let them go, you know, let them go and, and work. And then we'll deal with, with the other people that need the most help, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And we have certainly seen that happen and, and it, it's bitten us a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to like put, put things in place to, um, you know, it's, you it's hard to have visual management to know when your best people are frustrated, mm-hmm. right? It's not like they have a big red light over their head that says, hey, I'm frustrated right now and you can't really see it. And so you've really got to be in tuned and you got to have processes in place to, to try to head those things off at the pass as much as you can. And so we, we work on that a lot on trying to figure out how can I, we keep our best people the most managed, mm-hmm. if you will. 
It's um, so true. It's so true and so surprising. It's it, it, yeah. And you know, I remember from my my MBA days, we used to talk about feed your horses. That was one of the lessons I remember uh, writing a paper about how important it is to focus your time on your best performers, not focus your time on your you know your people who are struggling because you got to take your best performers and turn them into rock stars. That's that's really the way you thrive. But when you're in the middle of it, you, you just don't realize you're not doing it. You just can't see the forest for the trees. And you think, oh, I'm going to let this person go off and, and do everything. They're they're going to crush it. And over time, they feel like they're on an island. And, and they don't feel like they're getting the appreciation and the help they need from the organization. And it can become a huge problem. Um, it, you know, staying on that that side um i feel like incorporating new people has been a huge challenge for us that despite our best intentions is difficult and more so in this covid uh covid world i didn't appreciate at first how even good smart people that have been at our company for a long time may not welcome new people at first. You know, you're changing family dynamics. You're you're bringing in a, a a kid, you know, a new kid into the equation of a family, and all of a sudden there's going to be some infighting and some struggles and like figuring that sort of stuff out has been really hard. And so, um, so we focused on things like uh, simple things. Does everyone have a best friend at work, right? If you don't have a best friend at work or if you lose your best friend at work, I'm telling you that is a person who needs a lot of help from a management standpoint. If someone leaves your organization, figure out who their best friend was before they left and then go and nurture that person because they're going to struggle without someone just to have water cooler conversations with. And that's way harder now that we're all remote versus when we were actually in the office and we can see we could see people. So all some of the things we did to try to help people feel engaged when we went remote, some of them worked and some of them didn't. But trying to figure out ways for people to be to have best friends at work or I mean I use that term more generally. I don't really care if they're friends. I just care if they're like partners in crime. But um but if, if people don't have that partner in crime in their job at some point they're going to feel isolated and at some point they're going to start to disengage from from the organization again though certainly easier said than done to try to to try to stay on top of that all the time josh i'll I'll flip that kind of um to carry on to you have you seen any team dynamics change and and you know uh, that whole best friend concept uh you know in your role and what you do have I seen it change within COVID? For sure. Yeah. yeah. And and it's funny. So, um, you know, there's various group chats going around and you kind of think, oh, you know, are we goofing off and sending funny, you know, headlines or memes or whatever to each other? But it's actually vital. Like we got together for lunch yesterday, right? Hey, let's go have lunch. We'll pay for it. Let's just talk about anything. And we're not going to try to accomplish anything. Um, so I've noticed that for me personally, I can, I can get a little bit myopic at what we're trying to, to accomplish to sort of forget about that stuff. Then you realize, oh, wait a minute. These people are islands 
you know, and we used to be all in the office together, high fiving and making jokes and everything else. Uh, and so culture shifts a little bit. You have yep. to like, you know, if the, if the group chat's silent for, for a day, put something funny up there. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, call somebody just for, not for a pipeline update, but call them for, to figure out, you know, how, how things were going or whatever. Yep. And so it's, it's, you have to prompt yourself and remind yourself a little bit now in a way that you, you know, that you used to handle at the dartboard in the yep. Atlanta office. You know what I mean? Um, so slightly different, equally or probably more important now. I'll tell you, I have personally struggled with, it's not my nature just to call people randomly. Like, you know, it's just not my nature to pick up the phone at 435 and just to give someone a call. Um, yeah. But those are the conversations that we're missing the most as an organization and that we're trying to replicate as much as we can. Um, because you can always schedule 30 minutes, but the fact that you have to schedule 30 minutes to have a conversation changes everything. And, totally. and it's so hard to not be able to just kind of see someone in the, the break room and, and say, hey, how's it going with that thing you were dealing with? Or, or can I help with any of that sort of stuff? And it, it, as a leader, I find that mad, maddeningly difficult to maintain all those levels of conversations. I try to do it with one-on-ones, and I and I really enjoy one-on-ones, and so I think people like having one-on-ones with me because I like them. But but it's not the same. It's you know it's scheduled, and you have to write down the topics you want to talk about and that sort of stuff. And it's just not the same as an impromptu conversation. Has has this uh, you know new dynamic changed um, the way you approach culture and some of the traits that you look for in people as you as you bring them on? Um. I don't think so. I feel like what it has done is we've always valued people with initiative. And I think it has just made initiative more front and center as something that we need to come to come on board. Um, as a startup, we don't have all our processes documented. I mean, it amazes me that even large organizations don't have this, but they certainly have have you know resources to throw at these kinds of problems and training resources more so than startups do and so coming on board to a small company you know there isn't a manual on how to do things you just got to be able to kind of pick it up and figure it out and and really testing people for their initiative in the interview process has been mm-hmm. has been pretty big um the people that that are uncomfortable with taking initiative end up struggling here. And then the people that are comfortable with ambiguity and having to take initiative to get things done tend to thrive. And it's really been a difference that's that's been visible for us for the last, say, two years since all this stuff happened. Do you see initiative translating well into, you know, someone who has a good mind for problem solving? I don't know. Um, Yes, of course. Yes. I mean, I think people that have initiative, um, if you point them towards problem solving, I think they end up figuring out a way to develop ways to solve problems Mm -hmm. really well. Um, I think, you know, some people come in and they take initiative just to get their job done. And then that's where they stop. You know, that's Mm kind of where their evolution 
stops. Whereas other people, they can they can take initiative and get their job done, and then they have way more capacity to solve problems and think about kind of more strategic issues and things like that. So it's a little bit of a, you know, I think it's part of the individual makeup of a person. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I, I look at I look at problem solving as as like so i think that the ultimate goal of any organization should be to be a learning organization mm -hmm. like i think you should make your processes and decisions in order to try to learn the work is really just a teaching aspect of that and so given that goal i think problem solving just is simply one thing that needs to be learned mm -hmm. right i think teaching people problem solving becomes a goal any sort of change like that the way we think about it is people process technology mm -hmm. and so so i'm constantly looking for you know are you committed to teaching problem solving in your organization really committed like not just talking about it but like are you committed that you're going to put the time and the energy into teaching it have you communicated that commitment and are you communicating your progress toward it are you holding not just other people accountable, but are you holding yourself accountable to teaching problem solving? Are you giving people the resources, training, time, dollars, whatever, to do to learn problem solving? And so to me, that's the people side of that equation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and if you don't focus on that, well, one of the legs of the stool is not there and you're not going to have stability in your problem solving. Same with your processes. I mean, that I would argue it has to be a simple problem solving process or else it's too complicated for people. I would argue I, it's amazing what you can do to say, oh, you guys want to you want to do problem solving in your organization. Cool. Well, how often do you meet about problem solving? <laughs> and well, people start to, well, you know, it, we talk about it every once in a while. If you really want to do problem solving, it'll be part of an agenda every week. Mm -hmm. Right. It'll be it'll you'll have a discipline around problem solving. And so I think that's the process side of it. And then I think technology, technology can make things visible. It can help people to collaborate. It helps you to share best practices with other people. Mm -hmm. I think it can give you a little bit of an easier way of having a standard and rolling out that standard. And I think it helps you know the status of mm -hmm. what's going on. So to me, it reduces the learning curve and it helps you to organize. But, okay. but it plays a role, it's just not the role, mm -hmm. right? Without the commitment, the communication, the resources, the accountability, the discipline, it doesn't matter what technology you use, but if you don't use a technology, well, you're gonna cause problems in your visibility, understanding of status, the ability to collaborate, et cetera. And so I really look at them as, as kind of playing with one another, the people process mm -hmm. technology. You just apply that to problem solving. You can apply it to anything else that you want that you really care about doing in an organization, I think. And so, you know, um, changing, changing slightly from the topic, um, you know, being in your role and, and at Kind Nexus where you have a lot of interactions around continuous improvement and, and customers that are interested in, in, in getting better at continuous improvement, um, what sort of approaches to uh, continuous improvement, problem solving, have you seen in some of your, your customers, your prospects, um, that has been like amazing? 
um, and what's some some pitfalls that you've seen other people uh, come into that maybe aren't doing it so well? Good question. Um, so I am a huge believer in, I'm going to just call it bottom up continuous mm -hmm. improvement, but I, I just am a believer that if, if you have a thousand employees and you can get a thousand people doing continuous improvement, that is going to be more effective than having some projects that you're managing to try to improve certain pieces of your organization. And so I'm very biased to this concept of employee engagement, of, of figuring out a way to get ideas from your organization and then execute on those ideas, even if they're small, you know, even if they don't make a huge impact uh, to the organization. I just see that as a better direction than focusing on big, huge projects around mm -hmm. continuous improvement. Not that those aren't helpful, I just don't think that changes a culture. And I don't think you're developing an army of problem solvers at that point. You're taking a small group of people and pointing them at solving some big problems. So I feel like the organizations that have done that well, you can just feel it mm -hmm. when you walk in there. Um, you, you can just feel it. Like their bathrooms are cleaner. I don't know how else to say it. Like. <laughs> You know, yeah. everything in their organization feels like, oh, they paid attention to that. The napkins are in the right place. There's a cup holder for me right here. There's a foot pull on the door. And I'm just thinking of a barbecue joint here in Texas that has a Baldridge Award, right? And yeah. like you can feel it when you walk in there. Um, that that to me is continuous improvement at its finest. You mm -hmm. know, you walk into a hospital and the doctor doesn't think he or she is the boss of the emergency room, but they realize that everyone has a job and they're all collaborating and they want ideas they're, you know, they're looking, they're, they're almost th thirsting for ideas on how to improve. Mm -hmm. um, that to me is, is real continuous improvement. That has to be leader led in mm -hmm. my opinion. You just cannot do that without the ultimate leader of the organization saying this is important to us this is the type of culture we want and then everyone else will follow along if that's not there the rest of this doesn't work you know the rest of the tactics mm -hmm. just doesn't work um and so so i think that that there's a lot of like tactics meet regularly have a communication strategy track roi the right way for the right purpose but all of that rolls up to this has got to be a leader-led initiative it has to be, or else it just doesn't, it just, it falls apart at some point. Yeah. It's funny. We sometimes run into companies, you know, that were, you'll find a lot of kind of that, maybe even senior leadership team buy into, to take the continuous improvement approach, but then oftentimes it'll die with an owner that says, well, we've been doing it this way for 30 years, you know? Right. And yep. so it's like, ah, oh, that's not an answer, but nonetheless, it, it, I think you're right. It takes the leadership and it takes some people are, you know, go into go into let's let's say target because that's a place that I want to get out of as quickly as possible. But, <laughs> but I'm going to I'm thinking about the quickest route to get what I need, you know, like the cheaper by the by the dozen guy who used to time yeah. buttoning his shirt from the top <laughs> versus the bottom. Right. Yeah. And that's ingrained in some people. And then in other people, I think it's not. They're like, yeah, I'll just buy a pullover, you know, <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> 
And so, um, so certainly I think if that's lacking in the leadership, I've noticed we don't invest as much time in, in companies that, that seem to appear to, um, to lack that at, at, at the leadership level for sure. Yeah. We, we will try to say, Hey, can we talk to that leader? Like, can we try to convince him or her that this is going to be one of the most important investments they can make in their company? But it's really tough. I mean, at that point, you're, yeah. you're really climbing uphill there. Um, but there. There's a, again, I'm going to go back to my MBA days, and I don't know what book, probably Good to Great or Built to Last or one of those. And they said, organizations ultimately take on the behavior of their highest leader. You know, over time, whatever the highest leader wants, the, the the next level starts to behave in that way, and then the next level behaves in that way, and then the next level behaves in that way. And so if that person really wants continuous improvement, the organization will figure out a way. And if they really don't, then the organization will figure other things to do. You know, when a roadblock arises, they'll just go in a different direction. So, Jeff, you mentioned, you know, the bottom up, uh, you know, uh, culture from continuous improvement standpoint where we get many little ideas, some that may not have financial impact, others that are uh, and are great for culture, others that have some you know, value to them. Um, how does technology enable, you know, capturing all those little ideas and, and make it a simpler process? Sure. Great question. Um, so. I feel like. First and foremost, um, this isn't just applicable to continuous improvement technology. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this to me is the same as like my task management that I do on my day-to-day -day basis. That technology needs to be available wherever I'm at, mm -hmm. whenever inspiration strikes. And so it needs to work on my computer, my iPad, my phone, what have you, where when I have an idea or a suggestion or whatever, I gotta be able to at the very least just capture it, you know? And so to me, um, facilitating easy capture technology helps a lot in. I think then it has to help make the implementation of that idea better or mm -hmm. easier to follow. Um, I have a belief, and it's not my belief, but like I've stolen it from some someone, that if you ask for employee ideas and you don't actually plan to do anything with them, you are much better off not asking for them in the first place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, because people will just get mad and they'll never give you a, you know, they'll disengage more than they would have had you have just said, I'm not interested in your ideas. I'll figure this out on my own. And so I feel like the implementation has to it has to be there it has to not let things fall through the cracks so they don't get lost it has to help the managers and the employees work together and collaborate on that implementation and so i think that's an important component is how does it facilitate the implementation i think there's a measure component that technology really helps with mm -hmm. um you know it's hard to measure the impact of the work you're doing it's even harder to measure whether the work you're doing is moving the variable, and I'm just using that as a generic term, in the right direction, right? So if, if, you, if you are working on a machine and you're being measured by throughput, you have got to be able to measure that throughput so you know whether your improvement is 
moving that in the right direction or the wrong direction. And so you need to know whether you're working on the right things and whether you're doing the, the right type of work. So I think there's a there's a measurement component that technology really needs to help with. And then I think technology really helps with sharing mm -hmm. because when something, you know, especially at any sort of a scale, best practices can usually be shared. Just the knowledge that other people are working on improvement can incentivize someone else to actually work on their own improvement, just to realize that it's, you know, a very thoughtful and and well-intentioned thing that someone's trying to do. So, so I just call it capture, implement, measure, share those four components. But mm -hmm. I think any technology around continuous improvement has to facilitate those four things. It might do it in its own way, mm -hmm. but um, now I think of improvement at a very kind of high level, just because that's what we do at Kinexus, right? We sit on almost the, the top of the improvement program. If you're developing a process, there's probably a couple of different things that you need to be able to, there's some technical things that you need to be able to, to handle, but just to manage CI, to manage the ideas that come out of it, those are the four buckets that I usually look for. Okay. And so you touched on some, some things that sound like they're, they're good practices for technology in general. Um, have you seen technologies that have good intentions, but just really aren't great at achieving the goal that they set out to do? Um, I have. Uh, I'm certainly not going to call any out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what? what uh, I know that's what you were baiting me to do, Jeff. I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, <laughs> well, well, you know, um, you know so we've had a, a series with, with uh, you know, Corbin's Electrics and Knox Innovations on how we go from the idea of, of making something better going through uh, collecting requirements, um, mapping out a current state, uh, coming up with a solution, implementing that solution and getting adoption. So we've gone through the whole series of essentially a problem solving like process, right? Um, and so there's some things that we identified as good practices, some things that we, we said, hey, we should probably avoid. So is there anything that, that you could advise people on from your experiences that are some pitfalls in technology that are easy to, to fall into where we think it's going to help us get better, but actually, you know, sets us back a few steps. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've got a bunch of these, so I'll start. Uh, I'll, <laughs> so, um, the to me, the first one is simplicity. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy for technologies to get into this. This, uh, I don't even think they mean to. They just get into this bad habit of thinking that the next feature is going to be the best feature, and by you know, then they wake up a couple of years and they've got so many features that they've lost their sense of simplicity for the user. And that can be a really hard, um, a really hard thing both to manage and to get yourself out of. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't, I don't know if it's a, it's a true kind of thing that I always say it's, it's the Henry Ford syndrome is a problem. Um, I, I don't even know who to attribute the quote to, but I read a quote at some point that said, uh, Henry Ford said that if he had given people what they wanted, he would have simply given them faster horse. I'm really guilty of that because the easiest place to get feedback from are the people that are using your system today. But those people tend to ask for one step at a time improvements to what mm -hmm. you're currently doing 
And it can be really hard to start then thinking about, well, where do things really need to go versus, you know, what are the incremental steps that I can take to make this customer happy today? Mm-hmm. But I think you also have to do that, right? You have to make this customer happy today, but it has to be balanced with this kind of line of sight to the future or someone else will figure that line of sight out, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think technologies certainly fall into that trap where it, you build features for your customers and then you can almost lose sight of like, what is the big problem that we need to solve or the mm-hmm. next big problem that we need to solve? Why leadership is so key, right? It's the innovator's dilemma um, for sure. It's can we, do we have a vision of of in context what problems we're trying to solve and, yep. and what that context is going to change into, right? And we're seeing that a ton right now with the proliferation of IoT, there's a sensor for everything, yep. there's wearables, there's different devices. I mean, just things are changing at yep. such a rapid pace right now that it's hard to address technical debt. Yep. It's hard to, to, to know exactly what to do. So, Yeah, I could, I, I think this isn't just like software technology either, wearable technologies and sure. Like they all got so many features now. It's like, okay, what are we, what are we trying to accomplish here? Like, you know, I don't, uh, it's, I don't know if my watch even tells time anymore. Um, <laughs> but it does a lot of other cool things. I just sometimes the screen doesn't have the time on it uh, because, and and because I've manipulated it wrong. But still, it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the time on it. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like a lot of technologies miss the boat on the nudge concept. I don't know if you guys have read, I don't even know the authors of that book, but there's a cool book called Nudge uh, that really just talks about the little subtle ways that technologies can can promote a better decision or, or a worse decision for that matter. Like, um, you know, one of the examples they use on the book is like, if you can pre-select someone to signing up for your 401k at your company and they have to unselect it to not contribute, well, then they're more likely to contribute, right? You've nudged them to selecting it. And I think software is a great opportunity to give those little nudges. Now that can be used for better or for worse, but I think uh, software misses the boat on on those little nudges sometimes. Um, th- that can be a really, really hard thing. And then, I also think software in general has a problem because software is created by developers and and oftentimes developers are far away from the Gemba of where mm-hmm. the software gets used and that can make the software somewhat impersonal. Sometimes it can mean that um, it lacks some of the, the touch and the feel that people are looking for when they want to kind of create a relationship with a software platform. And so I've seen that happen a lot, even with really good intentioned technologies that, um, you know, they can fall into that trap. It's, uh, it, I say all the time that at Kinexus, we are better at developing processes to take feedback from customers to evolve our software than we are at having a software platform. You know, like, like I don't want any customer buying Kinexus because of what we do today. Because they're going to, you know, one will just overrun them at some point. You know, I want them buying us for our process of building software because it's going to evolve over time. And um, I think there's probably some technologies out there that that don't realize that, that they think their technology is what what matters versus 
their ability to listen to people and to build technology is what matters. You know, it's going to evolve over time. Yeah, we take the stance to try to be problem solvers first and solution providers second, right? And even if that means we offer a solution and recommend a solution that that's not with us, right? We want to be known as as problem solvers because someone's more likely to come back to us and be a customer if yep. they've had a good experience with us helping them solve a problem. Yep. So that's the stance that that we like to take on that. And and speaking of customers, uh, how has how have you seen a customer buying process affect the way they buy or select a technology to go forward with? Mm, interesting. Um, so I've I've been doing sales now for twenty plus years in the enterprise space. Um, I first started in the selling into the IT part of the organization, and then I sold into the marketing part and now I'm selling into the continuous improvement part and I can tell you the evolution of the buying process in those different parts of the organization is completely different I mean it's it's completely different um, in the space we're now kind of trying to support and help continuous improvement people I don't I, I feel like a high percentage of them they don't have a buying process mm -hmm. they've never done this in their department before they've never really procured software before and so the ones that are i think more successful at it um they're they're willing to be honest and transparent about that and they're willing to take recommendations on what that process should be mm -hmm. uh, now that said you know we're pretty adamant about trying to guide them down a process where even if kinexus is not the right fit i'd rather them get to that answer and go in a different direction than, than to buy us as a bad fit. But I know there's probably some other sales organizations that are not that way. You know, they're mm -hmm. going to talk you into it no matter what you're doing. So I get why people have those guards up. But I feel like if, if you can let that guard down, if you can figure out which sales teams you trust, and then if you can, as much as you can, work in their sales process, you're going to do yourself a favor. Mm -hmm. uh, as as long as they have a good sales process, um, I, it was the people that follow our sales process and let us go through a proper discovery, and let us go through a proper scoping exercise, and let us try to help them figure out what is the value of the problem they're trying to solve, and what will the ramifications be if it's not solved properly. You know, if if a lot of a lot of customers don't know those answers, mm -hmm. you know, that's not something that people sit up and think about all all day long. But if you come to the, if you get those answers, well, then you can make a much better decision on whatever technology solution you're looking for. And mm -hmm. but some people are so afraid of that, you know, they're so afraid of of opening up and going down that road with with someone. So I think that's really hard. Um, the customers that are the most successful with us, they are looking to solve a real business problem versus figuring out which features make the most sense you know they've they've figured out in their core that there is a business problem that needs to be solved that is going to affect the bottom line of their organization and and then they they go out looking to solve that versus you know looking to buy a tool or a partner or, or a tool or a system there and i think mm -hmm. because of that um they look at they're looking they place a greater on importance on partnership than they do on the actual tool or system 
or whatever, right? They're looking for a, a partner that's going to listen to them, take their feedback. When things go wrong, could have fixed those problems as quickly as possible, that sort of thing. Um, I guess I could say it like this. Our best customers, they actually desire to be good customers. Mm -hmm. You know, as a salesperson, you don't think of it that way, right? That there's that that some organizations want to be good customers. Others don't. They, you know, they they might want to bully their vendors or they might want to be a little adversarial in their relationships. But for us, our best customers, they have a desire to be, they'll even ask us what can they do to be a better customer for us. And that's a that's a super helpful relationship when we can find that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Uh, we need we need to uh, meet some of these customers. That sounds like they're, <laughs> we, they're good we ones all, to have. <laughs> we need more of them too. Yeah, we need more of them too. <laughs> well, we've covered a lot of ground today. We we started with culture, got into some problem solving, um, and and talked about technology. Um, is there any kind of closing thoughts you want to leave us with as we start to wrap things up here? You know, I I appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, I'm very much a believer in the theory of abundance and that the rising tide lifts all ships and and that if if together your organization and my organization we can make continuous improvement better well then it's going to open up more opportunities for not just us but for everybody out there in in mm -hmm. this and if we can if we can spread continuous improvement that's going to be a good thing for the people we're spreading it to and for all the ecosystem that supports continuous improvement. And so I'm super excited that that we look at this problem in two different lenses. Like I've mm -hmm. learned a lot from you guys just in, in talking with you here and researching and stuff like that. And Kinexus does a completely different thing. And so I'm excited that, that um, I'm excited that we are starting to see the results of continuous improvement writ large across companies mm -hmm. we're starting to see that when organizations do it well there's an impact to their bottom line there's an impact to their turnover their employee satisfaction their customer satisfaction their revenue their profitability you know they're they're getting better in all aspects and so to me that's the goal mm -hmm. well, what i do might change over time but like that's the goal of of figuring out how to make that um, more effective. And so, yeah, this has been a super fun session for me to just think through and talk about. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Yeah, Jeff, we, we definitely appreciate your time and having you on, on the podcast today. If anyone wants to, to connect with you or learn more about Kind Nexus, where should, where should they go? Yeah. Um, I'm, I can give you my email. Uh, it's jeff.russell at kindnexus.com. Although most everybody will misspell Russell. Um, <laughs> If you find me on LinkedIn, that's probably a good spot, you know, to hit, okay. hit me with a message there. I, I just cannot get turned on to Twitter. Um, <laughs> I, just, I cannot find myself uh, doing Twitter on a comment on a regular basis. So to me, LinkedIn and, and email are going to be the best options. As far as Kinexus, where could uh, our listeners hear more about that or learn more about that? Yeah, great. So, um, so you can certainly just go to www.kinexus.com, but I think I would recommend uh, go to blog.kinexus.com or navigate to find our blog or, or our webinar slash podcast series 
um, just like you guys, we're very committed to not talking about Kinexus. Mm-hmm. Right. We really want to kind of spread the gospel of continuous improvement, not specifically about how Kinexus affects continuous improvement. And so I feel like we've become a really good resource for people that are just trying to learn and, and immerse themselves in continuous improvement. And so I just start at Kinexus.com and you find the webinars in the blog link. I think it'll it'll prove a helpful. A helpful avenue. Great, that's perfect. Well, and so Jeff, can I ask a question? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, what are what are you guys reading right now? Uh, for fun or for work? Uh, let's say for work. <laughs> I just started the qualified sales leader like just now, so we'll see how that goes. Well, I am reading that one too. So as you uh, as you're going through it, I would love to compare notes. All right. Yeah. Uh, mine is so marked up with ink and underlines and and <laughs> notes in the margin right now. Uh, that's going to be our next book club on our sales team. Is awesome. is that one? So how about you, Jeff? I'm reading Understanding Variation: The Key to Managing Chaos by uh, uh-huh. Donald Wheeler. So um, I know Josh wanted me to read a couple books before this, but this is a good book about uh, you know process control and everything like that. So. Um, Definitely a highly recommended one. You know, I one of our uh, one of the thought leaders at Kinexus is a gentleman named Mark Graben, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book recently called Measures of Success that mm-hmm. that kind of get into the the variability that sort of thing. And and Dr. Wheeler was a was a hero of his. I don't know if he was a mentor or whatever, mm-hmm. but certainly he speaks often of him. So that's really cool. I like to know what people are reading. I, uh, that's, that's the habit for me. If you can build the reading habit, everything else follows. Well, that's great. We got some good, uh, professional, uh, reading list items and some, some books here for fun. Um, we'll go ahead and, and wrap things up again. Uh, Jeff, Josh, thank you guys so much for the time today. This has been a ton of fun. Um, we'll have to do this again and, uh, really appreciate it. Uh, for anyone that, uh, you know, wants to hear more uh, about this podcast or others, you can check out all of our podcasts uh, from across Hexagon at hxgnspotlight.com, on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, Josh, Jeff, uh, thank you guys so much. Thank you.